Damn, son, where'd you find this? Tuning into Bros, let's talk. This is Bros, let's talk, the podcast where guys come to be dudes. I'm Pat here with Jimmy and Andy. How's it going, gentlemen? Hello, friends. So great. Andy returns to us after another week. At the hunting lodge, not for nothing this time though. He caught some deer meat that I'm sure he'll be sharing with the rest of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Ha- happily, got a lot of it. So I prefer mine in jerky nice. form. If if you don't mind, I'm gonna be trying to make jerky. Oh, so. I was I was totally being a smartass. So that's that'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take whatever I can get, whatever form it comes in. Yeah, I'll eat it. All right, so lots to talk about this week. We're going to jump right in. Time to shoot the shit. We're going to lead with college football because we had week two of the college football rankings last week. Saw the same rankings as week one. Georgia was number one, Alabama number two, Notre Dame number three, and Clemson number four. And those were completely blown up this weekend as number one Georgia was blown out by number 10 Auburn 40 to 17. And number three Notre Dame was blown out by number seven Miami 41 to eight. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mindy, shut up. All right. I don't want to hear it right now. Stupid Andy, stupid Packers fan Andy, and also not Notre Dame fans. So just shut it. Go back to hunting. (laughs) But anyway, the rankings have been blown up. Uh, Alabama squeaks by Mississippi State as well, 31-24, which is they were losing for a good portion of that fourth quarter, actually, until they made the comeback. Uh, And uh, you're looking at the projected top four this week being Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and potentially Miami for having such a big win. Being number seven already, kind of proving themselves to be legit. What are your guys' thoughts on the crazy weekend in college football? I think Ohio State has a case for top four, too, after that blowout of Michigan State. Fuck Ohio um, State. Just Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, I agree. They're on my list right up there with Notre Dame. I, I, I would find it hard for them to be in two weeks after losing by three touchdowns, but... They could definitely see them in the top five and with a good chance to slide in there. Yeah, it's it's more so um, that eye test that now the committee uses. Um, and obviously, they still have the Big Ten Championship to play so right. and a couple more games. So um, I thought it was... I thought it was a crazy weekend. Um, I don't think anybody anticipated that Notre Dame-Miami game being as lopsided as it was. I know no. some people picked... I mean, every analyst on ESPN had Notre Dame um, going into it. I think a lot of people thought Miami was overranked. And I did. Notre I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And they went in there and just smacked them right in the mouth. Yes, Granted, they that did. game was down in Miami. Um, but outside of that, I mean, Notre Dame, I don't think really has a chance to get back in. 
No. Um, not, no. Especially with not Georgia when you lose like that. Right. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was their only shot in if Georgia was, Georgia stayed up there. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy because I think Georgia's on the other side of the SEC than Alabama, correct? Or are they on the yeah, same yes. side? No. So the only way they'll play is if it's in the SEC championship game. Yes. So that could, I mean, if Georgia plays like they have been prior to this last week, that should be a huge matchup in the SEC championship and play out. But I thought it was super entertaining. This is why you play all the games and everything like that, and it's why you don't just deem them uh, the four best teams in college before all these games played out. So Agreed. I thought it was awesome. And I also think this past weekend was a prime example of why you expand to eight games or eight teams rather than four, because there is going to be controversy. I mean, let's say Wisconsin goes undefeated up until the Big Ten Championship where they'd probably play Ohio State, and then they lose. Does Ohio State get in then over Wisconsin? I mean, there's going to be a lot of a, a lot of questions, hopefully, coming forward, because I think it's more interesting that way when there's not clear-cut winners because – that promotes an expansion of the playoff system. Um, you know, I I thought Notre Dame was going to go in there, and, and I thought they were going to win, but I thought the game was going to be close the whole time, and that game was over 15, I mean, 15 real-time minutes into the game. It was just, it was crazy. Yeah. So um, I was also surprised with the, with the butt-whooping that Georgia took. And it just it's setting up for a real exciting next couple weeks. So I am I'm very excited to see to see what happens. Um, how what do they have? Two three weeks left. I think there's like three because they three four maybe even because they play twelve games 12 plus games. conference championship if okay. you're playing it. You're so. right. So four weeks. Um, yeah. I just I I thought it was crazy. It seems like the good thing is. The college landscape this year, as far as parity, seems a lot tighter than in years previous. Agreed. To where Alabama has these tight games every year against SEC opponents, but they don't necessarily look like the unbeatable, you know, unstoppable force that they've been in the past. No, they certainly um, do not. They have just as good a chance to win as anybody, obviously. But I just think it goes to show that it's really going to come down to the last week, probably, when we have a clear-cut top four. Um, because the teams that the committee went with to start, you've already got two of them falling. Uh, two weeks into it, you've got three, like we said, three, four weeks left, and you know a lot of good matchups still. So there's a lot, a lot that can still change between now and when the final rankings actually come out. One thing that I don't think will change is that Baker Mayfield is going to win the Heisman. I think he's pretty much solidified that up until this point. Or up to this point, I should I say. I think he's averaging something like 320 I don't see anyone taking it from him. How about you guys? Like, and like three and a quarter touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was a point where uh, Barkley seemed like he was the clear-cut runaway at... Oh, we good? I feel like we're having some technical difficulties here. I'm good now, but you guys lagged for a hard six or seven seconds. Same here. We're good, too. Yeah, you were lagging for us. All right, we're good now. All right, and, and restart. Go. Okay, so I think that Barkley was the clear-cut runaway winner for, it seemed like it, for a while there. And after three or four 
pedestrian weeks by his standards and three or four amazing weeks by Baker Mayfield. It doesn't really seem like anyone's going to catch up to him at this point. It's not just what he's doing, the way he's doing it. He's got a lot of personality, and he's pretty much willing that team to victory because it doesn't look like Oklahoma's defense is anything no. at all. No. Like I don't even know if they play and get in the games. Right. They're such high-scoring affairs. So he's doing it. What he's doing is uh, is kind of the main attraction in college football right now, and, and I don't really. Someone would have to do a lot in the last few weeks to really, yeah, you know, surpass him. him. Agreed. I think it, I I think you said it best too. I think it is Barkley that can only do something like he'd have to go out and average like two hundred a game or something like that. But I think running backs nowadays they have to go out and just put up freak games every single week in order to catch the mm-hmm. quarterbacks and the Heisman. Agreed. All right. Um, moving on, we're going to talk a little bit about the NBA. Um, I'm not sure how much you guys talked about it last week, but um, kind of an interesting first few weeks of the NBA. Um, I thought most shocking is Boston uh, sitting at 11 and two right now. Haven't lost in what, like three devast- weeks? Yeah. It's crazy. After the devastating Gordon Hayward injury, everybody thought they would not slip to the bottom of the East, but certainly I think the expectation was kind of middle of the pack for them. Yeah. Oh, it dropped um, big time. Yeah. So Boston sitting at 11 and two, 11 and two atop the East. We got Cleveland, which again, it's very early. It's only a few weeks in the season, but Cleveland right now is out of the playoffs. Um, sitting at, I believe six and seven. Um, so they're, they're just not looking good. I don't know if it's the supporting cast, um, that they're missing. I don't really think Isaiah Thomas is going to add too much when he comes back eventually, but Cleveland's he, at six he's and seven. not going to fix defense and rebounding for sure, which they're struggling yeah, he, immensely at. So, right. He could add like 30 points though per game. Yeah. It's uh, helpful. And then the third team that I wanted to talk about was Oklahoma City after putting together their own big three of Carmelo Anthony, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook are also sitting at are they're sitting at five and seven and they are also out of the playoffs in the West. So what are your takeaways from the first few weeks of the NBA about these three teams in general or just whatever? So I think you have you have two different situations when it comes to OKC and it comes to Cleveland. You have three alphas in OKC learning to play with one another, trying to figure out the the pecking order, which, in my opinion, should go Russ, should go Paul George, and then go Mello. Once they get that figured out, I think they'll be okay. You flip to Cleveland, you have an old-ass team with old-ass players who are slow, who, like I said, are not playing defense and are not, and are not rebounding, and LeBron just he can't do everything. I mean, he's trying— but he can't do everything, and that that t- a team just looks looks messy. Whereas I think like OKC is trying to sort their stuff out. I don't even think Cleveland knows where to begin how to start sorting stuff out. Their legs look tired. Their defense is sloppy. Their defensive rebounding is horrible. Um, so ultimately, I still think Cleveland is in the top three of the East because the East is so putrid. But they're not winning shit this year. I mean, they're they have a chance. I think as of right now, where we stand, to get bounced by uh, Boston. But if they don't, there is no way they're they're taking on any top-four team in the West for a championship. No, There's there's no chance. 
Yeah, I think Boston has been the most surprising to me, considering what you said before, Andy, that the Gordon Hayward injury on opening night and then they lose to Cleveland, that's just a lot to bounce back from. And Kyrie Irving had been playing insane in the 10 or 11 game winning streak. I know he got hurt the other day as like a slight facial fracture. Yeah. And he's going to miss a little bit of time, but they've been playing great. They got a lot of young talent. I think Jason Tatum has been damn better than they thought he was going to be to this point. I thought, I thought, I think they knew he was going to be good and that's what led them to make this trade. Essentially him and Jalen Brown have both played awesome. Uh, and, I don't really see any reason to see that they're going to fall back a whole lot. You know, they might come down to earth a little bit. You can't expect to have long winning streaks like this all the time, but they have a good young team, a good young coach. And the way Kyrie's playing, I I think you're starting to see that LeBron maybe needed Kyrie more than Kyrie needed LeBron because Kyrie's a young, he's a young exciting player who, who always has the ball in his hands. He can score in a variety of ways. And you can see now where he's, he's more committed to distributing and he can be a good distributor when he, when he tries to be. Whereas in Cleveland, he was always had to kind of have that go mentality because LeBron had the ball in his hands so much. So I think that's been the craziest thing so far is how quickly it's come together for Boston. I think people thought it was going to take a little bit more time, but he's really put, you know, interjected some energy into that franchise who was good last year. But, you know, you make a trade like that, you got to think it's going to take a little bit more time than this to acclimate. Agreed. Yeah, And you almost think that maybe that Gordon Hayward, uh, if he had stuck around, it would have actually taken them more time to become a cohesive unit. The fact that he lost a star that he would basically have to share a little bit of the ball with uh, makes it a little bit easier of a transition for them. Not that it's better for the team in the long run or anything, but yes, exactly. easier for them to get off and running with Kyrie just kind of right. running the show. Don't confuse what Andy's saying. He's saying right now it's easier to come together. Come right. April when when LeBron is guarding you, it's going to be nice, or it would have been nice exactly. to have had Gordon yep. Hayward at your side. Right. Well, I think we've seen it a lot in the past, too. I know we mentioned Oklahoma City as one of the teams. Um, you know, Sometimes when you bring these superstar teams together, we've seen it with the big three in Miami in the past, and when LeBron went back to Cleveland – uh, and even when Golden State started at first, when they brought Duran in last year, they got off to a tough start. But, you know, it just takes a little bit of time to acclimate these new players. I think Oklahoma City will be fine in the long run, too. But it just goes to show that at some point, playing as a team unit that's comfortable with each other is just as effective as just putting superstars together and be like, here, go play. Correct. And it's also extremely early in the season. There's a lot of basketball left to be played, and we're going to talk about a lot of ups and downs and peaks and valleys along the way. All right, gents, moving on. um, uh, This past Tuesday, the 30 for 30 Ric Flair debuted on ESPN, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Andy, did you have a chance to watch it yet? I did, yeah. Okay, so um, I just – it was – I thought it was really, really well done. Um, I didn't know that that Ric Flair lived his persona in the wrestling ring outside of the wrestling ring. And if if you didn't get a chance to watch it, number one, I suggest watching it. Um, But number two, the the first half of it basically discusses Ric Flair, the wrestler. And it shows 
you know, him and all his money and all his cars and his women and his fancy suits and his $10,000 robes and, and his wrestling life. And then it kind of... <laughs> yes. And then it, uh, it kind of shifts and it talks about his home life or lack thereof and his family that was kind of broken and he wasn't super involved in. And it talks about Rick, or we see Ric Flair now get interviewed and you, you see what 50 plus years of hard partying every day really, really does to you. Um, what were your guys' thoughts on it and did it change your view of Ric Flair at all or is basically he who you thought he was? See, I thought, I don't remember Ric Flair that well as a wrestler because I know when we watched wrestling when we were younger, we watched more WWF. Mm-hmm. We knew of the WCW, but even at that point, Ric Flair had been around for such a long time. Right. So it was interesting to see some of that stuff about how he looked, <clears throat> he wrestled in all those long hour matches where some guy, like Hulk Hogan said he never even had an hour match his entire career and Ric Flair would do it like every week. And then just seeing the crazy lifestyle that he lived, you know, he talks about where he would drink like 10 beers and four or five mixed drinks every day for like 20 years straight. And then he would wrestle. He would take flights to China, 13 hour flights, be drinking the entire time, get off the plane, go do his show and then take a flight back, start drinking again the entire time. So basically drinking almost two days straight and just like you said, the abuse that he put on himself. And uh, the one thing I thought was the most interesting, though, was because they interviewed a lot of former wrestlers and guys that worked with them. And, you know, they all knew what he was as far as being arguably the greatest wrestler of all time and greatest entertainer in the sport. Uh, but I thought the most interesting uh, people that they interviewed was Triple H and Shawn Michaels because they both really had kind of a negative tone to the way they were talking about him to where they saw him for what he really was and getting you know not a good family man at all and just uh multiple women every night and kind of just abandoned his family essentially and got lost in the role like you said jimmy so i thought it was interesting for those guys you know to interview them and for them to have great things to say about him as a wrestler but kind of you know this really disappointed and and uh negative tone to the way they talked about him as a person I think it said a lot about uh, the kind of guy that he was. I thought the whole thing was so well done. Um, biggest takeaway um, for me was just kind of, I felt bad for the guy. Like, yeah. You could tell that as much as he probably loved it in the moment, like I think that's weighing on him a ton nowadays where if he could go back and redo it all, I don't really think he would have done it the same way. Um, And not only the partying and everything like that, but then just the physical toll, like Mm -hmm. back, back in the day, wrestling was a lot more real than it was. It is now like guys are swinging. And I mean, they were cutting themselves night in night out. And then Mm -hmm. just the, the physical toll on like their knees and everything like that on top of what that guy was doing at night and I guess for him even during the day with the drinking and the partying. Right, just which is, is probably which is excluding the steroids and the drugs you know he was doing oh, yeah. also. So that didn't even mention right. that. I um I found it I, I was reading on a, a Deadspin article on Twitter the other day and some guy he was uh he claimed that the thirty for thirty was uh promoting his uh misogyny in him 
and him, or it was it was glorifying him objecting women. And I thought, if you watched that thirty for thirty, and thought anything other than, "Wow, this is a really troubled human being," then you you didn't watch the same thing I watched. Nothing right. about Ric Flair's lifestyle, whether it be wrestling or Family Man, was glamorous to me. Like you said, Andy, I felt bad for him. All they did was they told the story. There happened to be objectification of women in the story. That's not in in no way did I thought it made it look cool. If anything, I thought, wow, here's a guy who who has everything most people want, but at the same time has nothing because he can't even sit in a bar or his hotel room by himself without needing to drink or do drugs or have people around because he has such a sense of emptiness. And I thought that the director did a great job of portraying that. So to see something other than that, I think is just lazy. Do you think yeah, he even go, oh, ahead, go ahead, Andy? Well, he even mentioned when they asked him how many women that he slept with, and he said ten thousand. Ric Flair was even like, "Isn't that gross?" or something along those lines. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it's kind of like, you know, it's exactly what he said. I think he's kind of realizing now that he let a lot of things go for granted back in the day, and he can't take back a lot of the things that he did. What, so what I will that's say, what I was, was going to say. Go is, ahead. Do you, do you think the 10,000 claim, do you think that's accurate? No, no way. I mean, maybe like a, a, a couple thousand, but that you're talking like four or five women a day for 20 years straight. That's, that's what he said. Right, of course that's what he said, but I just think that's a little... I feel like your dick would just fall off at a certain point. That's It might have. That's why yeah. it probably slowed down. <laughs> but the, the, the one positive take I took from it was how the other wrestler said he was like he was this huge star and he brought you up along with him. Like he was totally cool, getting his ass kicked, losing matches, and like made you look like a great wrestler. And I just think that was cool of him because he was the biggest wrestler in the world. And he wanted to bring others up with him, not just be this showboat, it's all about me, I'm going to kick your ass, I'm never going to lose, whatever. So I thought that aspect was cool. But the the uh, rest of it, I just I felt bad for the guy. He was, I mean, cl- you could tell from his childhood, he was adopted, his parents and him were like night and day, they had none of the same interests, so it just seems like he felt like he was alone his whole life, and he had to make up with it in many different ways, and it was just, for, for such a guy that was such a, such a charismatic and, and big personality, you saw how empty his life really was. So it was, it was just sad to see. Yeah, it was really well done, though. Like you said, if you didn't have a chance to watch it, I would definitely recommend doing so. I don't think there's been a single one of those that I thought was, like, boring or yeah, they're all, they're all damn good. or anything like that. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, the next one looks really good, too, the two Bills. Yeah. Yeah. About Belichick and Parcells, so Parcells. we'll probably be talking about that one eventually. All right, we're going to touch a little bit on one more subject before we move on to our segments, and that is the lesser-known middle ball child, Leangelo, is making waves in the news. Finally, he finally <laughs> yes. gets his moment <laughs> yes, he in does. the spotlight. And what does oh, he do? Oh, wait. Wait, he was shoplifting in China oh, with oh, two of oh, his shit. freshman oh, no. teammates from UCLA and... And now as the team has flown back to Los Angeles following their opening night victory against Georgia Tech in China, Ball and fellow freshman Cody Riley and Jalen Hill have to remain in China as they await their fate. Uh, there has been reports coming out that there are 
video surveillance footage showing them shoplifting from three different stores, potentially. So if that's the case, it could change the outcome of this case. And China is a place that prosecutes 99% in China. of shoplifting charges. Um, so they could face up to 10 years in prison if convicted. LeVar Ball seems to think it's not that big of a deal. He said in a quote, he said it ain't that big a deal. It's going to be fine. But uh, as we know for now, they're still in China waiting. I know big baller brands actually in China. They had a pop-up shop in Shanghai. And uh, not exactly the best look for your company when you're in a country trying to promote your brand and grow it. That the, one of the middle child or your middle child of the family gets caught stealing stuff especially considering too his brother is in the nba and his dad is worth a couple million now right. i'm sure what, so what the hell are you no doing? reason to be doing this i don't know what are your guys thoughts i mean this could this could be really serious yes but I, I feel they, like they don't it's not and this is not an indictment on chinese people this is the way that their government i think is ran they don't i don't think they value human life like we value it here and they don't fuck around over there i mean he could be in some serious trouble in LeVar Ball can say what he wants, but this is way out of his jurisdiction. This is out, out of the United States' jurisdiction. I don't. Obviously, they're not going to like give him the death penalty or anything crazy. You'd hope not. Who knows with them? But it's a lot more serious, and he's playing it up to be, and I think he's doing that on purpose. But, I mean, who knows what? I mean, he could, they could, he could be sentenced to a, to, to a uh, uh, labor camp for a couple months or weeks or days or whatever. I mean, you, you just you really don't know. There's like one thing that one rule when you go to China and it's don't commit a crime because they don't fuck around, right. especially with foreigners, too. Exactly. Yes. Like it's it's rule number one. And Pat, like you said, just the fact that the family is now worth some money, like Lonzo's going and he's he's got a promising career ahead of him and just the whole thing like he's a. He's got a scholarship to UCLA basketball. Why are why are three of these kids doing it? Not just right. not just Leandro. Like just fucking stupid. I got nothing more than that. That's yeah, just I mean, fucking re- dumb. Yes, agreed. I mean, you saw too. Like we talked about it a long time ago. One of the first podcasts, I think, of the story about Otto Warm Beer, where he went to North Korea. Obviously, Kim Jong Un is an individual in himself, you know, and there's not really much you can say about him. He's insane. But you saw what happened to the kid went there, stole, you know, a sign. It wasn't even something like designer sunglasses or anything like that. And you saw what happened to him. So you're right. There's a general rule of thumb. If you're going to travel out of the country, you don't commit a crime, something that can get you, make you suspect to their rules because people don't realize how lucky they have it in America until until stuff like this happens and they realize, oh, shit, I'm in another country. I'm at the mercy of their laws yes. and their government. And There's there's a girl in Zimbabwe ridiculous. right now that sent out a tweet that the prime minister of Zimbabwe thought was offensive and is now holding her as a prisoner because of it. Right, that's what I mean. Like, you don't fuck around in other countries because you don't know what they're going to do, what they're capable of. For all we know... The people in charge could hate the big yeah, baller brand and up. say, "Oh yes, fuck these guys. We're gonna make an example out of this kid," yeah, well, which isn't uh, right. I'm obviously hope I obviously hope that doesn't happen, but you just don't know. You cannot mess around like that. Yeah, I definitely. Uh, any future 
trips out of the country that I take, I don't plan on stealing anything. Let's let that be known. <laughs> right. Nor do we steal here, so let's just let's just not steal. Be a good person. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Good plan, guys. Good plan. <laughs> Fire that fucking pig skin. All right. Uh, moving on to our weekly segment, um, talking a little bit of NFL. Um, Jimmy, why don't you kick us off with uh, the early stories from this week in the NFL? Okay. So I read more about this to uh, today, and it's um, Roger Goodell is and the NFL are working on a contract extension. Um Early reports of what he's asked for in his extension were he wants $50 million a year, he wants lifetime use of a private jet, and he wants health care for his entire family. Now, I am not a fan of Roger Goodell. Uh, I wait, think... he wants health care for his entire family for the rest of his life? Uh, I didn't say rest of his life. It just said he wants the use of a private jet for the rest of his life. He wants health care okay. for his whole family. I was going to say, he's coming from a league who won't even give their former players health insurance right. for the rest of their life. So I am not a fan of his. However, people people criticizing this, first of all, every single person in every single job wants more money. That's just the way the, the world works. So does he deserve $50 million a year? No. The CEO of Nike, who I think Darren Ravel tweeted, doubles the revenue that the NFL does, only makes only, with quotes, $14 million a year. But if I'm Roger Goodell and I'm standing out in the public and I'm taking bullets all the time for the owners and their stupid-ass players doing stupid-ass things, and I'm getting the shit end of the stick for it, yeah, I'm going to want to be compensated too. So do I think that's ridiculous for him to ask for that much money and a private jet use for the rest of his life and health care for his family? Sure, it's ridiculous, but I absolutely see where he's coming from, especially if he's going to be the shield for the shield. Now, I, I don't think he'll get that, uh, especially if Jerry Jones has anything to say about it. But the in the grand scheme of things, it's just another mark on the NFL this year for just seemingly fucking up everything they touch when they once seemed like they were untouchable, that they could do no wrong. And now it seems like we're starting to see some cracks in the foundation. Yeah, I, do you guys know what his base is now? Uh, his base isn't a ton, but he gets bonuses. So he's right. he's been the commissioner for over 10 years, and he's made over $200 million as the commissioner. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I, I just I was just kind of looking for a relative. How big of an increase is this? Yeah, year I, to year. But I'm I'm pretty sure his base is relatively low, but he makes bonuses. So I got you. Um, he's doing all right, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. My my biggest takeaway from this whole thing, I don't really have a problem with him asking for more money. I think the bigger story that came out from this is the Jerry Jones thing, who's now uber pissed off about the Ezekiel decision. Right. Um, Except you gave him that power, so did the players, to make those decisions. And now because it's one of your players, you're pissed off that your star running back beat his girlfriend or whatever he did, and you want a lesser sentence. Well, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's – I don't know. It's – there's no – I don't think he's going to get the 50 mil. No, I don't think so either. I think that's a huge number. Obviously what he's asking for, he's probably just throwing the ball out – or the number out there. So they can talk it down a little bit, but I, I don't know. I think the bigger 
the bigger thing is that um, like if people want a new commissioner and if Goodell's going to go out there and demand 50 million or else he's stepping down, I think that's their bigger issue is that nobody really is in like in the works of being built up to be the next commissioner. Like Roger Goodell, that name was known for quite a while that he was going to be next in line for that job. Right. And, and we knew I that Adam Silver was going to take over for the NBA. Exactly. They don't, yep. and, and Rob so Manfred this, for baseball. We don't have that for the NFL. Yep. Right. So it would be it would be a huge hit to the NFL, I think, if they just out of nowhere. And I don't think Goodell's going to call their bluff if they ask for a lower salary and just be like, well, no. I'm out of here. Like, no way. Fuck that. Um, but I do think it is something if because the collective bargaining agreement, I don't. I think it's 2021. 2021, I believe. Yeah. So that's going to be a huge thing just because since the last one, we've had these huge cases like the Zeke case, uh, Tom Brady with Deflategate. Mm -hmm. Owners are individual ones, be that, are starting to get fed up with the power that he has. Um, So if this continues and he keeps... Which they gave him, by the way. Exactly. Right. Agreed. But now that it's hitting these individual owners and it's not going in their favor, they're going right. to start going against it. And it's happened to two of the bigger ones, too, with Robert Kraft and Jerry Jones. So Correct. Exactly. I don't know. It's, yes. it's a big number that he's throwing out there, but we'll see what happens. Fuck it. They're just all a bunch of rich guys making money no matter what. So screw yep. them. All right. Well said. I want to talk about the Bears-Packers game today. Which, exactly what I thought was going to happen and knew in my heart was going to happen, ended up happening since the first time since 1991, someone other than Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers started a football game for the Packers at quarterback against the Bears. For the first time since 2008, the Bears were favored in a game against the Packers. It had all the classic pieces to be a huge disappointment game. The Bears are coming off the bye. They've got two weeks to prepare for this. The Packers played on Monday night. They played terrible. Brett Hundley looked like dog shit. The Packers suck. Blah, 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 this and that. So, today's game time, and of course, the Packers come out and pretty much are in control the entire game. The Bears had a couple of chances to get into it, uh, which is, of course, marred by the now infamous... John Fox challenged the play that was called out of bounds by his runner down at the one, challenged it, trying to say he gets in for a touchdown in the replay, clearly fumbles the ball into the pylon, resulting in a touchback, and the ball goes back to Green Bay. So had he just, you know, rushed his guys up to the line and called the play, uh, you know, the Bears might have crawled back into that game. So it's just, you know, that was just, that epitomizes the Bears against the Packers. I texted Jimmy. I don't know if I'll ever see the Bears beat the Packers again in my lifetime. <laughs> it's just, it's the worst. Pat, I hate and, it. And unfortunately, I'm going to make your life a little more miserable right now because when you look back at that play, Green Bay didn't challenge that. We did. So we, oh, I know. we had the ball. We had 40 seconds, and we pay, we pay a coach to sit upstairs and go, Hey, John, uh, you probably shouldn't challenge that because we're going to lose the football. Oh, shit. Okay, let's run a play. See, Instead, yeah. some e- either someone looked 
or Fox got I thought about it though. And threw it. I bet you. In a, no matter what, I bet you the Packers would have ended up challenging him right. because they would have looked at the replay too and seen, oh shit, he fumbled. So I think no matter what it was going to get looked at, the fact that it's our coach challenging it and then it gets, it screws us over makes it just so much worse. And I think that's just kind of the cherry on the icing on top of the shit Sunday that has been John Fox coaching <laughs> here, here for the Pat, Bears. Here's what else sucks about that game. Everything you said about Green Bay before that was true. And, Andy, you talked about this a few weeks ago when I asked you. Without Rodgers, they don't look good. They have more holes than they know what to do with. They did not look like a good team today. Nobody on that team was like, oh, shit, this person is taking over the game. But the Bears looked that much worse. And, well, that was and the I, thing. It was, a, it was so such a typical Bears-Packers game. Coaching. So much has to do with coaching. Just, just No pass rush. Penalties. Hunley had all day to throw. Like, yeah, penalties all over the place. Although Hunley did make a couple really good throws he near did. the end there. He did. He, 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 made I two, mean, he made two really good throws that iced the game for them. But, but I mean, we give had him to credit, say, but Chris Spielman, or whatever his name is, was, was saying, God, yeah. run, run, pass. It's what the Bears did almost every single series. You were scripting what you were doing every single series. And either A, that's on, that's on John Fox saying to Dow Loggins, hey, this is what we're going to do, or B, they're too dumb to realize that they're actually scripting this over and over and over again. I hope it's the the first option because if, if it's the second, that's, that's a whole other mess of issues. But I think this game sealed John Fox's fate if it wasn't sealed already in Chicago, that him, him and Dow Loggins and the rest of the coaching staff, hopefully minus Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel, will be gone after this year. Yeah, from my perspective, um, the Packers, I admit, did not look good. They are not a great team without Rodgers on the field. Um, I do think Hunley played his best game. For sure. Um, but he's injured, did you hear? Starter? No. He finished the game with a hamstring injury? Hell yeah, Colin Kaepernick for the win. Nice. <laughs> um, so... Like I said earlier, when we first talked about the injury, I said it was going to leave a bigger hole in the defense than it was in the offense. And you were not kidding. And having the ability to just kind of milk the clock and keep the time of possession on your side does wonders for that defense. Because the more that they're on the field, the more they get exposed. Yes, And Trubisky had, Trubisky had a quiet, pretty good game. Almost 300 um, yards and a touchdown. Right. Um, and he had the ball in his hand for that last drive. He got gifted that, uh, missed field goal at the end to, to seal it. But I mean, you can't expect, you can't expect him to just go in there and drive right down the field. No. And, um, Agreed. He doesn't, and he doesn't he have didn't. the weapon. He doesn't have the weapons to do that. And the, their offensive line played. It was just, it was, it was so weird. Bears like Kyle Long was on special teams, but not playing on offense. Yeah, just, it was weird. It was, it was just weird, weird, co- weird, bad coaching, bad playing, bad, bad, See, bad, I, bad. I would have thought with the weather that that game played right into the Bears' hands, but teams are starting to do to the Bears. I mean, the Packers did it all day where what the teams used to do to AP and the Minnesota Vikings, just put eight in the box because they know they're going to pound Packers him. had nine and we'd still run the fucking ball. Right, exactly. That's my point. 
is Jordan Howard has been averaging like 30 carries a game for the past three three or four games. You know that they're just going to pound the rock. You have to change something up. And he, Trubisky's proven that he can, I mean, he can wheel and deal, not with the best of them yet. He's just a rookie. But, right, right. I mean, if you if you throw a play action at him in the on first down or something like that, just do something to break up that tempo. It was, I don't know, it, was, it wasn't a pretty game on either side. Um, Hundley made some good throws down the stretch. Uh, the one-handed catch by Devontae Adams, that pretty much uh, put the nail in the coffin. Um, but yeah, Kyle Fuller had a rough game. Yeah, bad, he did. Bad day to have out your worst bad, game. Bad, bad game. Yeah. Not good. So, both those teams are going to end up at the going bottom nowhere. of the NFC yeah. North. They're, they're yeah. not going anywhere. Right. So, I mean, it gave some stupid fans maybe some false hope for a wild card for the Packers, but there's no way. They're which, sitting at which, five and four now, I think. Yes. And and what I took out of this is that Aaron Rodgers is the best player in the NFL. Point blank, period. Hands down. You will not win an argument, at least in my opinion, otherwise, because he makes that team a playoff contender every year. And without him, they're just they're not. And I'm sure you can say it for a lot of teams. You take away their quarterback, but I don't, he's just that—he's that damn good. Well, I mean, I, I have no argument there. Um, I've felt that for a long time, but it just shows. Dan Lebetard was talking about this the other day about how if he was Aaron Rodgers, he would want out of Green Bay only because of the management hasn't put enough around him in order to win. Um, and he he used um, the New England Patriots when Brady got hurt um, and Matt Castle came in and still won 12 games that year. Like that team had so much around Tom Brady who was in the prime of his career. They went out and got Randy Moss. They went out and traded for Wes Welker. Their defense was elite at the time. And the Packers just have not done that. They went out and they tried to get Martellus Bennett. Okay, he's sort of on the tail end of his career in 2020 hindsight. That obviously didn't work out. But they just haven't made any moves to make that team better as a whole because they just don't believe in free agency and trades or anything like that. Like The two biggest signings that I can remember in the last 20 years as a Packer fan are Julius Peppers, which worked out very well, and Charles Woodson, who worked out very well. But those are the only two. Like They just don't go out and get people unless they know they're towards the tail end of their career and they can get a few extra years out of them. And, so, and, and in their defense, though, I, and I swear to God, I feel like this, they're decimated by injury every single year. Uh, they are accurate. so beat up every single year. I don't understand it. I mean, I yeah. feel like you're missing... Brian Bulaga or a handful of of your other offensive linemen every single year. I mean, they're down to their third string running back this year, it, and it, yep. and and they're missing their quarterback. They lost totally accurate. What Nelson two years ago, and they're always losing guys, which which is I think another issue in itself. Kind of like the Bears yep. are going through the last couple of years. But Agreed. we we could talk about this forever. So Pat, why don't yeah. you go? Or Andy, it's I'm sorry, uh, but yep. Um, Transitioning to another NFC North team, um, the Minnesota Vikings are now, I think, seven and two. Yep. Look that up. Yeah, so seven and yeah, two, sitting atop, good. sitting atop the North, uh, looking very solid as a team. Real good. 
Teddy Bridgewater was just activated this past week and kind of a nice moment. They showed him. He kind of shed a few tears um, at the start of the game. Just he was you could tell that he was just thankful to be out there. There was no way he was playing today, but he was just happy to be out there and shed a few tears. Um, So my question to you guys is Case Keenum has been quietly leading this team to a solid year so far. Not doing anything amazing, although he had a great game today. Um, what do you think they do here? Case Keenum's now 7-2. and two. Granted, a few of those are Sam Bradford's wins, but you've got your... I think just one. I think just that first opening night win was right. Bradford. So you've got your previous franchise quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater coming in, um, getting activated. I'm sure they'll keep him out for a few more weeks if they do decide to bring him in. But what's the move here at seven and two? You're looking in line to win the North, um, and yeah, even right now, I think you roll sp- with Keenum. Yeah, yeah you, you, I think you, you got to. You can't pull him now. He's playing too well. He has he has the pulse on the team right now, and I know in this long in the long run, Bridgewater might be a better quarterback and a better prospect. But Keenum is uh is working right now, and he's he's playing mistake free football for the most part he's been pretty much a game manager most season he's he had like you said today he had a really good game he had he's had a few of those sprinkled in but he's been taking care of the ball and that defensive unit is arguably the best in the nfl they got playmakers all over the field and i think right now that combination they got a pretty solid running game with mckinnon and uh, latavius murray since delvin cook has gotten hurt and they've got one of the best receiver combos in the NFL with Adam Thielen yes, and Stephon do. Diggs. So I think the formula they're using right now is clearly working. I think they might be one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, clearly, I think, you know, them and the Eagles, you know, they're right up there as far as the top team in the NFC. And, and I think Saints you got to roll with, yeah, the Saints too have been playing ever since they started running the ball. Yeah, I think right. as far as Minnesota, you got to start. Uh, you just got to roll with Keenum. Have He's to. been the right guy this year, and there's no reason to turn away from him now. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a whole ton about that. I just thought it was kind of an interesting thing activating him this week um, and having. And him they put on Bradford the on IR. I think. Yeah. Yes, they did. So their whole situation has been because Bradford had a good year last year, got right. off to a good start this year, and yeah. then you lose him. So weird just, little. QB triangle going on. It's like a great situation to be in. Yeah, Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) Okay, moving on um, to one of uh, one of my favorite topics that we do is bold strategy. Um, That's where we uh, we call out some people who who do some things that kind of makes us scratch our head and kind of makes you wonder, like, what are what are you doing? which I know is a whole nother topic, but whenever we do bold strategy, it makes me think of that as well. Um, Pat, what you got for us? Well, I'm about to convince you otherwise then because my candidate this week is a bold strategy that if it are to work out is for the betterment of humankind. Oh, good. We need some of that. Yeah. um, As you guys know, there are... Super super volcanoes out there that exist. I did know that. And the uh, if these were to erupt, they would pretty much destroy humanity. Yup. So it's something that we hope we never see in our lifetime. And there happens to be one of these located between uh, beneath Yellowstone National Park. Yes. And uh, it's a 
crater-like depression. It says it measures 30 to 45 miles and is filled with molten material, which is magma. Magma. And if it were to blast, it would, yeah, basically humankind would be dead. But scientists at NASA have sketched the rough outlines of a plan that they say would not only spare us from a deadly super eruption, but also turn the Yellowstone supervolcano into a source of electric power. Hey. Okay. Um, in a write-up, right? In a write-up for the plan first shared with BBC, the team argues that we could siphon heat from the caldera until it becomes too cool to erupt and convert the geothermal energy into electricity. So obviously, one, I am all you would for be that. saving, right? You would be saving mankind. And two, you would be providing a natural source of electricity. So not only are you sparing mankind, you're allowing it to advance further and spend less money on electricity. So NASA scientists, let's hope you're right about this. So bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. So really quick on this volcano, um, this kind of made headlines maybe a month, month and a half ago that there was this super volcano sitting be- beneath Yellowstone. And all the articles that I was reading made it sound like this is a very imminent threat. Yeah. And I read an article a couple weeks ago and it said that this volcano would not erupt for like another 75 to 80 years. And I just think that's the most ridiculous thing in the world that people are talking about this super volcano 75 to 80 years out because I don't give a shit if that thing goes off in 75 or 80 years. Well, you could still conceivably be alive. <laughs> conceivably, but yeah, but See, I'm ready to go in 75 or 80 years. Well, that's true. <laughs> See, I heard that, or this article says that, um, what is it? So geological evidence suggests that Yellowstone's super volcanic, or super volcano mounts a massive eruption once every 600,000 to 800,000 years, and the most recent occurred 640,000 years ago. So we could still be about 160,000 years out from this thing going off. See, I think it's, a, it's an imminent threat to, to humanity. So let's hope they can use that 160,000 oh, years God. to find a way to stop this thing. The quicker they get it figured out, the better for me. Agreed. All right. Moving on to my candidate for uh, bold strategy is our beloved president, Mr. Donald Trump. Um, He's back at it with his Twitter account, and this time um, was just kind of... (laughs) South Park made an episode a couple weeks ago about the crazy things that Trump's been tweeting. South Park is still the best. And this episode basically completely encapsulated what he did the other day. The whole episode was about him tweeting at... Uh, North Korea and basically provoking him um, Kim Jong-un the whole time so the whole episode was about that and just the other day President Trump goes out and he tweets quote why would Kim Jong-un insult me by calling me quote old when I would never call him short and fat oh well I try so hard to be his friend and maybe someday that will happen so (laughs) no you don't Trump just basically subtweeted Kim Jong-un calling him short and fat without directly calling him short and fat. <laughs> like, I just think this Power is... Power move. Yeah, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. I literally can't talk about it without laughing. 
because it's so spot on to this South Park episode. But the fact that you are going and subtweeting and calling the an insane leader of a country that wants to wage war with the entire world, short and fat, I think is just the most ridiculous move in the world. And so that is why Donald Trump, our president of the United States, is my candidate for bold strategy. <laughs> so bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Nicely done. Okay, mine is for Louis C.K. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard he's the latest perv to be exposed in Hollywood. Um, numerous women, I think the count was five, came out and said that he would just whip out his dick and start masturbating in front of them, um, which is such a weird thing to do. As most um, people do. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but after... This initially came out, he um, tried saying no, it wasn't true, and that these women were liars, only to come out later and apologize and say, yeah, they're they're telling the truth, and I was wrong when what I did, and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, first of all, not only do you whip your dick out and jerk off in front of them like a fucking weirdo, but then when they come out and try and tell the truth, you throw them under the bus and call them liars just to come back later and say, Yes, they were telling the truth. So in your apology, you probably should have said, hey, sorry for being a shithead and making you look bad, but you were telling the truth and I'm a piece of shit and need to go with help. Um, it's it's crazy, these stories that we keep hearing about and that we keep seeing and just the, the odd predatory things that these men are doing to women that I... I I don't know. I, I just think that's... I've never introduced myself to someone like, Hey, how you doing? I'm Jimmy. Mind if I jerk off in front of you? That's just a really sick, weird thing to do. To each their own. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. All right. Well, that was uh, kind of a depressing note to end that on, <laughs> but there's a lot of creeps out there, so let's, let's move on. Yeah, get your popcorn ready. All right, this is the segment where we talk about movies. It could be something that we've seen recently. It could be something that's coming out soon, something that we're excited about. We leave it open for interpretation. So, Andy, why don't you get us started? All right. Um, I am going to talk about another Matt Damon movie. Um, Matt I... Damon. <laughs> Last time I talked about... Uh, the Coen Brothers movie Suburbicon, and that got just absolutely hammered by critics. Um, so hopefully, I can get a better a better movie this time with my getting excited for, and that is the movie Downsizing. I don't know if you guys have seen the previews or anything like that, but it's yes. a Matt Damon movie um, with Christoph Waltz and Kristen Wiig, and the basic premise of the movie is that um, Earth is starting to shrink people um, in order to account for the increased population and diminished resources. So Matt Damon is one of these people that gets shrunk. And I think it looks really interesting, um, just the premise of the movie. Like they're going and they've got like a little fifth of vodka and everybody's getting drunk for like a thousand years because of the amount of 
uh, alcohol it is compared to their size. Um, just the whole thing, I think, is kind of an interesting take um, on the whole diminished resource and post-apocalyptic idea. Um, so this movie, Downsizing, Matt Damon's the star, comes out December 22nd. So I'm pretty excited for that. I think the previews look pretty cool. Agreed. Yeah, I've seen previews for it, too. I, I'm definitely going to see it. I think the concept is very interesting. All right, moving on. I am going to give um, a, a a review, a spoiler-free review of Thor Ragnarok. Have you guys, either of you guys had a chance to see it yet? I have not. I haven't seen it yet. Nope. All right, I thought it was for sure the best of the Thor trilogy, um, and I was a fan of the previous two Thors. I thought this one for sure was the best. Uh, had a great soundtrack. Visually, extremely appealing. Um, Marvel has been moving into these like these vibrant colors and and just stuff that that kind of excites you, makes you go wow. What when you know when you're looking at it? Um, I thought it was the acting was very well done. I I liked the story. Um, I thought I thought that I know that every basically Marvel movie has some kind of apocalyptic aspect to it, but but Ragnarok in the in the um not Viking culture but in the, the the legend of the Vikings or whatever is the end of the world. So it was it was a little strange to see it as comedic as they did it, but I thought it was really well done. Um I didn't think this at first, but after talking with some people who I saw the movie with, I thought the mo- the movie was maybe a little too funny. They they could have scaled back on the comedy a little bit, but I also think that they're setting up for uh, the Infinity War movie, um, and that's going to be dark. I don't know if people realize that we're going to lose some of our beloved heroes, and Thanos is going to come in and just kick everybody's ass, and they're going to have to regroup. So I think this was kind of a nice, funny segue into that. I know that we'll see Black Panther, which looks absolutely incredible, come out before that, but... I was really impressed with Thor. I would definitely recommend it. It was really, really, really good, and I was extremely happy with it. Where'd you rank it among Marvel movies, just in general? Because I've heard a lot of people say that this could be their favorite Marvel no. movie. No, I, I wouldn't even put it in my top five. Um, if you're talking top eight to ten, yes. Again, it was, okay. it was my it was my favorite Thor movie. Um, if you're talking from just a pure entertainment standpoint and a visual standpoint and a soundtrack, I could see it being people's favorite. But if okay. you if you like to dive into more of, of the storyline that has been building for the past almost ten years with, with the Marvel phases leading up to the Infinity War, it's not it's not even in my top five. But it it was a really good movie, nonetheless. Okay. <clears throat> Alright, my movie for this week is one that the trailer was recently recently released on, and that is the uh, biopic based on Tanya Harding called I, Tanya, starring Margot Robbie. Is this an iRobot Robbie. sequel? Yes, this is how the robots began. Okay. Um, but no, it's about uh, Margot Robbie, Robbie plays uh, Tanya Harding, and it follows the story, kind of her life leading up to the famous uh, attack on Nancy Kerrigan back in 1993, I think it was, just ahead of the 94 Winter Olympics. And uh, the first trailer came out last week, and I think it looks pretty good. Um, there are people are already saying that uh, Margot Robbie 
is going to be considering getting Oscar consideration for this one. And it also stars Sebastian Stan, also known as Bucky Barnes. The Winter Soldier. Yeah, in the Marvel Universe, he plays her ex-husband, who was uh, the guy who was the brains behind the entire plan. So uh, I just remember, you know, we were obviously, I was super young when this happened, but I still remember um, a lot about that just because it was all over the news. um, And it was just one of those stories that kind of everyone remembers because it was such a big deal at the time. And and they both ended up competing on the Olympic team. And uh, Tanya Harding ended up, placing eighth i think she did pretty terrible and nancy kerrigan ended up winning the silver medal so it'll be interested to see that portrayed on screen i feel like biopics are starting to become a big thing again they're making one about uh freddie mercury with queen so uh this one i thought the trailer looked good so uh, i probably probably won't go see it in theaters but i'll definitely check it out also for such a beautiful woman in margot robbie they made her look awful as Tanya Harding, yeah. which Tanya Harding is not that attractive of a person, but good Lord, she's almost unrecognizable. Right. It's good uh, Good makeup there by that movie crew. They'll probably be nominated for an Oscar themselves. Hey, Fonzie, I want you to turn left if you come to a fork in the road. Yes, sir, turn left at the fork in the road. All right, this is uh, a segment that we've done quite a few times. Uh, it's called Fork in the Road. And basically, um, each person asks the other two a basically a would you rather question uh, that none of us have heard before, and we have to give our answers. So, Jimmy, why don't you go ahead? All right, Jen, sticking with the uh, kind of Ric Flair theme that we talk about in the 30 for 30, you are a WWF wrestler, we'll say 15 years ago. Eh, 20, eh, 15 to 20 to be safe. And you have your choice of tag team partners. And you're, let's see, you're taking on Kane and Undertaker. Are you picking The Rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin to be your tag team partner? Uh, probably going with Austin. So, a couple beers afterwards. So I'm going to go... I'm going to go the other way only because I can actually remember some tag team matches with The Rock in them. Um, so just from a pure wrestling standpoint and the fact that he's got a little bit of experience in the tag team realm. The Rock and Sock Connection? With, yep. Yeah, that's what exactly what it was. Um, so I'm going to go with The Rock. Do you guys remember when, when we were younger like, and we'd like hang out over the summer and we would, like whatever we were doing, we would leave Monday night to go home to watch Raw. Watch like, Raw? Yeah. It, it didn't matter what we were doing. All right, guys, we all got to go. I, I don't know if we weren't smart enough to think about, like, <laughs> hey, let's just go to someone's house and I'll watch it together. But we'd all leave what we were doing to go home and watch Raw because that's how important wrestling was back in the day. <laughs> Simpler times. Simpler times. All right. This one that I have this week, it's kind of a weird question, but I found it online, and I, I didn't really know how to answer it, so I kind of wanted to ask you guys and see if you knew how to answer it. All right, would you rather have fingers as long as your legs or legs as long as your fingers? God damn it. <laughs> uh, um. <laughs> wow, that's a really strange question. Um, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm just I visualizing have, this. And... I have a 
a 36 inch inseam so my legs are longer than three feet long so as hands i don't i don't i don't know how that would look but if i had my fingers as my legs i wouldn't be six five anymore and i think i'd really miss that so i think i'm gonna have to figure out a way to deal with three foot long appendages on my hands for the rest of my life yeah i think i'm gonna go with that same thing having the three feet long fingers ish um only for the negative of having only like three inch legs yes agreed it's Although not so much I will that say, i sitting on the couch like reaching the remote getting a beer getting i mean it's super easy now yeah i'm well, you know it might be a little bit clumsy. Well, yeah, but I'm just assuming I'll grow into my like hands. Like, how would you eventually. hold? How would you hold the beer with like three foot fingers from the very tips? Um. Yeah. Yeah. That would yeah, just be shit. awkward. Oh wow! I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That... Straws. Man. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, these just become very inconvenient at that point. But, but I'd still, rather have like, those than could you imagine having legs. Yeah, like you have your whole rest of your body as it is now, and then you have three inch legs. Like that's just. Yep. Like your balls would be dragging on the floor. They'd be so uncomfortable. <laughs> I want no part of that. There it is. There uh, it is. All right, <laughs> that's the, the determining just, factor right just there. Just so you don't have your balls dragging on the floor. There we go. <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> sticking to my sports theme of my Fork in the Road questions, um, I kind of dabbled in the names I wanted to use for this, but. I settled on two, and it is, would you rather have Tom Brady for the rest of his career, meaning possibly one, possibly four? Possibly um, ten? Yeah, possibly ten, but he is considered elite still. Um, Or would you rather have Carson Wentz for the rest of his career? No-brainer. Well, okay, so to clarify, are we talking about on our respective teams right now? Uh, yeah, I guess that's a good caveat because you guys have a shit team right now. Okay, that I didn't ask that. I just said on our team right now. <laughs> Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Okay, so I am going to go with Carson Wentz because despite Tom Brady trying to scam all of America and saying that he's working with this trainer who can cure cancer and prevent concussions, um, if he was on this team, he'd probably be dead because he has no one to throw to and he's old as shit and he can't move. Um, Carson Wentz is young and he's athletic, and although he's no Brady, he seems to have a lot of the 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 tangibles that's going to make a good quarterback and I think he will be around longer, and having Brady right now does nothing for this team because we're dog shit. So I'm going to go with Carson Wentz. I abstain. I'm sticking with Mitch. <laughs> so that was, that was what I dabbled with trust. was Mr. Biskey as the second name. But Oh, for sure. If you give me Brady if, or Mitch. If I had Mitch to answer, day. though, I'd... I'd go with the same answer, to be honest, Jim, just because I think Brady's great, but I think Belichick's more important to New England, and I don't think anyone could overcome the lack of talent the Bears have on offense. So, so, so just, 
just a I also dabbled with, oh, wait, go ahead, Andy. Go ahead. I also dabbled with Aaron Rodgers as the first name, but I thought he's had too much of a career left in order to make that a difficult. Give me oh, Aaron I would Rogers take him no matter what. Day right. over exactly. everybody. Yep. Um, have you guys seen the story about Brady and this and this trainer he's working with his TB12 line and how supposedly he's so a high- lot of it's like. Dude, he a lot of it's bullshit. He claims he could, he's, like, he's so hydrated that he won't get sunburned from being in the sun <laughs> because of the uh, uh, electrolytes he has in his stuff and how you know Under Armour makes that three hundred dollars sleepwear that he wears, which is basically a t-shirt and sweats and just all this bullshit that he's spewing from a guy that was convicted of screwing people over out of money and that he's some guru trainer who can prevent cancer and cure concussions when you have them it just it's you know it's insane to me but i digress what an idiot oh what a loser <laughs> that may be my favorite soundbite but i think the best soundbite of all time is we're closing you're like you're a dirty pirate hooker <laughs> yeah, i didn't mean to press it it's just like excellent that was, that was great, so great because it was not expecting it at all Came in hot with that one, right, guys? I I, I really so, wish all you listeners at home could have seen the three of us simultaneously, like bobbing our heads up and down. <laughs> and our heads. Music. Like, yeah. So we've got Hall of Fame this week, which is one of our favorites. And this week, um, and I the idea was sent in by valued listener Anthony Valone, listener, award winning. And it's uh, we're gonna do a Hall of Fame wrestling moves. We're going to stick in theme. We talked about Ric Flair and Jimmy asked the fork in the road wrestling question. So you know what? This is going to be a wrestling episode. So we're going to just top five wrestling finishing moves. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right. Go ahead, Andy. All right. These are in no particular order. These are just five of my favorites. Um, So I am going to start off with. The Undertaker and his tombstone. Um, the Undertaker is undefeated in WrestleMania when he pulls off the tombstone. So I think that move, just being able to flip a guy completely upside down, drop him down, and then he goes right into a pin where he just folds the guy's arms on top of his chest is an all-time move. So Undertaker tombstone is my number one. Um, going into number two, I don't think this one will be used, but I thought it was pretty awesome, and it was kind of the peak of my wrestling watching. That is Jeff Hardy's Swanton Bomb. Oh. Dude, the Swanton. That was a trusted like trampoline wrestling move. Yeah. Because it's like the only place you could really do it. Dude, that guy used to do that off of like 20-foot ladders, through tables, everywhere. When him and J- uh, Matt Hardy, that's the other one. Yeah. Um, when him and Matt were in the peak of their tag team against the Dudley brothers and everybody, the Swanton TLC matches. Yeah, that's where exactly. that was born. Yep. The best. So the Swanton bomb, just a freak athletic move and basically just diving off of shit and landing on your back. Um, but awesome move. Nonetheless. Um, number three is going to be Shawn Michaels with sweet chin music. Um, probably one of the fastest finishing moves. Um, there's no buildup or anything really other than him just He's prepping. got the little buildup. Right. He's got the stomp on the, yeah. on the rope. But then just the the absolute like 
it happened so fast, kick right to the jaw, and that was pretty much game over for anybody that he hit it with. So Shawn Michaels, sweet chin music. Going to go with... So I originally had the people's elbow on here, but then I thought about it, and I didn't consider it as much of a finisher as the rock bottom. So I'm going to do the rock's rock bottom. Um, An all-time move, the rock, one of the best wrestlers ever. Um, Certainly peak of our watching. Um, Throwing up the people's eyebrow and everything like that. So the rock's rock bottom, just a simple arm across the chest and throw him down. Then my number one is probably a no-brainer to you two, um, and that is Stone Cold Stunner. Um, just, it's my number one. Um, I said no particular order, but that's for sure my number one. Um, that move, I think, was replicated by every child that ever <laughs> ever watched wrestling. Um, Still replicated this day. Yeah, absolutely. Most um, adults have replicated it as well. Right. Stone Cold was just all time crushing beers just the kick and then right into the stunner he did it on basically everyone ever i think he the actually best video clip ever is when stone cold stuns like 26 oh, different God, dudes in the ring at once it's it's just the insanity yeah so that's my number one stone cold stunner um i do have honorable mentions but we'll save those for the after okay pat you want to go all right, I'll go next. All right, so number five, um, Andy had this one. He talked about a little bit. Sweet Chin Music by Shawn Michaels. Just straight up kick to the face. I mean, what's better than that? And, you know, they say that wrestling is choreographed and all that stuff, and this is probably one of the hardest moves to choreograph without actually getting kicked in the face. So how they were able to perfect it the way that I did always impressed me and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just as sure of a knockout move as anything, kicking a dude right in the jaw. Number four, I had the Razor's Edge, which was performed by Razor Ramon or Scott Hall, as he later became hey, known yo. to be, where he would just uh, kind of turn the guy around and his arms would be out like he was a, like a cross, and he would pick him up over his back and just launch him straight onto his back. And I remember we, uh, our cousin Joey used to do this to us in the snow when it would snow and there'd be huge piles. He would just yeah, razors edge us into the snow. It was great. It was awesome. And it, it was just a solid move. I mean, it's it's one of those moves where it's believable that someone would be actually hurt after it, it got done to them because he just – I mean, Scott Hall was like a big dude. He was like 6'6 six, six or 6'8, six, something six, like eight. that. So a dude like that picking you up, throwing you down hard, that's going to hurt. Uh, number three – I had the pedigree by Triple H where he would just kind of put you between his legs and pick your arms up so they're all crossed behind your back and just jump down on the ground. It always uh, had good buildup leaning into it and it seemed like a solid move. Uh, Number two, Andy, you touched on this one as well, the tombstone. Just an impressive move in general and uh, nothing worse that to top it off, you know, you're getting slammed on your head. You get a whole face of dick and balls going down. (laughs) So, I mean, that's just insult to injury at that point. And The Undertaker uh, perfected that move. And then number one, obvious choice, the Stone Cold Stunner. It was just the best. Uh, Anytime it happened, everyone just went nuts. You're always waiting for it. And and the best thing about, about Austin was... 
he would do it during his matches to finish matches, but he would just do it in confrontations, like on the mic. He'd get pissed. He would just like stun Vince McMahon. He would just stun anybody that was in front of him and then just immediately start chugging beers. So uh, when you look at it as far as like a technical aspect, there's not a lot to it. You kick a dude in the nuts and you pull his jaw down over your shoulder, but uh, just just amazing. So there, there's this picture out there, and it was when Trump became president and like Vince and Linda and Stephanie and Triple H were all like posing with him and someone tweeted, Stone Cold Steve Austin has stunned every person in this picture. <laughs> right? It's so true. All right. Um, very nice. I have a lot of similar. I'm going to start an inverse order going down five to one. Um, my number five is the tombstone done by The Undertaker. Pat, you alluded to it a little bit. It's a very intimate move. His face in your crotch, <laughs> your face in his. Um, but... It's it, it was just such a it was such a like the 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 buildup for that was just so intense like you you knew when you get tombstone like you're done there's there's no coming back from the tombstone and again Undertaker was he was built at seven foot I don't know if he was seven foot but he was at least like six nine six ten he was he was a big friggin' dude so if that was done like in real life you'd be fucking dead so that's my number five number four Pat you talked about it, the Razor's Edge. Um, I picked it partially because of our childhood memories getting razor edged in the snow all the time. And then you also talked about Scott Hall was 6'8". So when when he's lifting you up behind his back, um, his back is towards the back of your head and his arms are straight up, you're probably a good 7 feet in the air. And again, from a technical standpoint, if you were to do that to someone in real life on the ground, like you're, you're fucked. Your neck's broke. The back of your head shattered. Um, and Scott Hall just made it look... So, so good. So I'm going to go with the razor's edge at my number four. Um, my number three is the stunner. And you both talked about this. Every kid has replicated this. Even as adults, teenagers, it doesn't matter. We, we replicate this. Like, if, if I'm wrestling with someone, that's probably going to be my go-to move. And again, from, from that technical standpoint, you're kicking a dude in the nuts and you're slamming his throat on your chin. I mean, that would you would destroy someone if you did that for real. And it was just so fun to watch him do it. And, Pat, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said he would just do it, like, out of the blue. Like, a guy would be talking, but like, fuck you, I don't want to hear you talk anymore. I'm going to stun you, throw two fingers in your face, chug eight beers, and leave. <laughs> like, it was just, it was such a, such a demoralizing move. Like, he'd be like, yeah, hey, I'm sick of you, boom. Um, my number two is going to be the rock bottom. Andy, I, I kind of tussled back and forth, but if I threw in the people's elbow, that's like throwing in Hulk Hogan's leg drop. It just, yep. like, it's cool. It's cool for the crowd. It plays up the crowd, but it's, see, I almost threw in the combo, stamp. which one, like the, like, uh, Oh, the, the rock, rock bottom, bottom slash people's, people's elbow. elbow. No, yeah. That's, that's good. Cause that's game changing, but I don't think he did that a ton. He did. Cause that was the same thing that I didn't think the people's elbow was a finishing move in its own right. Right. Be- the, the the best was when he would do it and just like pop right back up and get in position and just raise the eyebrow and you knew it was coming. Yeah, that was fantastic. So yeah, that's the the uh, rock bottom is my number two and my number one finishing move is the choke slam. I loved seeing Big oh, Show see, I... and Undertaker and Kane just lift guys seven plus choke feet slam in the air was good. and slam them through tables or chairs or in the ring, outside of the ring, off the off the hell in a cell. Just, I loved seeing a choke slam. And again, I know I keep saying this, but from a tactical standpoint, if you just pick someone up that high and slam them on the ground, they're fucked. 
So uh, that uh, choke slam for me is my number one. See, I didn't know if if to include that or not. I thought that was more of like a secondary finisher, like like the Undertaker would do the choke slam, but the Tombstone was his mm-hmm. main one. I yeah, think that I think was that was the Big Kane, Show's finisher. Yeah, Big I think Show, Kane yeah. had had the choke slam as his finisher too. Right. So. Yeah, him and Big I mean, Show. it was a solid move. I was definitely being my honorable mentions. If you guys, I didn't put this one on the list because it wasn't WWF or WCW, but there was this one move that I saw when I was looking earlier. It's called the Canadian Destroyer. <laughs> if you guys get a chance to te- check this out, it is one of the craziest looking finish moves you'll ever see in wrestling. Um, but I also, I didn't want to put like a, too many submissions or anything, but the figure four leg locks, a classic. Yep. Um, I had the I had the uh, in my honorable mention, and from from a strictly backyard wrestling, Pat, I'd have to say our favorite was the 3D. Oh yeah, where we would always we used to do that to Mike all the like, time. Hey Mike, come here, and he'd be like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> like whenever we were in the pool, and we we put him on our shoulder and go 3D, and he'd be like, no, he'd and just jump in time. and clothesline his that, ass off it, or oh, the, the uh, uh, doomsday device. We'd always yep. do that one to him, too. <laughs> Just lift him up and come in and pretty much RKO him. Oh, he'd get so uh, close. It was so funny. It was the best stuff. That was the best. I had uh, I had three honorable mention or four, I should say. Um, I had the pedigree on mine. Me, too. I had Socko oh. from Mankind. Literally nothing other than Mankind just, just putting a sock, a sock on his mouth. hand and shoving yep. it in your mouth. Which um, actually hurts if you try it to yourself. Oh, yeah. you get under he your has tongue. a family! <laughs> um... <laughs> I had Rikishi's stink face. Ooh. <laughs> we used to do, do that, that to, to Mike, Mike too. too sometimes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike just got shit on his entire childhood. Literally. I can't believe that kid's okay and doesn't need therapy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my final one was uh, Scotty Too Hotties Worm. Oh. Like all build up. I forgot and not all really, about that. Not really much not of a Not really a lot to it, yeah. But the build up was all time. The four I had the, uh, and then doing the actual worm just into a punch to the chest was like... <laughs> I forgot all about that one. I also had the uh, X-Factor from X-Pac on there. Oh, good. That That's a good just one. Just straight up slamming the dude's face into the mat. There's a lot of good ones back in the I day. also had um, the uh, Goldberg-Spear-Jackhammer combo where like a guy I, would be oh, down and he would just be... And, and, and that was kind of... And it, it's not on this level, obviously, but it was kind of WCW's version of the stunner. Like you, like Goldberg would just be like, "All right, fuck you, I'm done listening." He just spear the shit out of you, or his buildup where he'd be crouching down and by the turnbuckle, just waiting. And there's a guy like you know, seemingly dazed, dazed. know what the hell's going on. He turns around and Goldberg just knocks the shit out of him. Fantastic. I also had the uh, jackknife powerbomb that Kevin yeah, Nash used yeah. to do yeah. in there. That was a beast move. Pat and we I could actually go on forever. Disney World. We did. Big he dude. He was the largest Large man. individual I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> All right. That is what we've got for this episode of Bros Let's Talk. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Follow us on Twitter at Bros Let's Talk. Like us on Facebook at Bros Let's Talk. Share our page so your friends can like it, too. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Podcasts and leave a review. Tune in uh, Thursday or Friday this week. We'll have our NFL picks out again. And then we'll be back next Monday with a new episode. For Jimmy and Andy, this is Pat. Later, dudes. See you, bros. Peace.
anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. I just like the same place.